Welcome to our podcast Inside SAP S for HANA. There's no customer success without product success and project success. If you're struggling with understanding the topic of demand-driven MRP, this podcast is for you. In today's episode, we will explore what DDMRP is, how it works, and what value it can bring to SAP S4HANA Cloud customers. My name is Markus Ertelt, and I work as a product expert in manufacturing and supply chain in the PSCC enablement team. I have the pleasure to have Chad Smith as our guest today. Chad is demand-driven thought leader and co-founder of the Demand-Driven Institute. Hello, Chad. How are you doing today? I'm well, and thank you for having me. Chad, in this episode, we want to know more about DDMRP. You have authored several books on the topic of DDMRP and the Demand-Driven Adaptive Enterprise Framework. But before we go into the topic, please first tell us a bit about your life. Well, I live in the state of Washington, so it's in the northwest corner of the United States, about two and a half hours east of Seattle. Uh, I have uh, two beautiful daughters, and uh, that's I do a lot of skiing, uh, boating, uh, and when I get the time. I also heard you live in a desert. I do. We have 310 days of sun on average a year, and most people don't realize that there is a desert only two and a half hours east of Seattle. Oh, really cool. But um, yeah, personally, I'm a very big basketball fan, and uh, you being from the U.S., uh, who is going to win the NBA title this year? You know, when it comes to the NBA, I really don't care until they bring back my Seattle Supersonics. <laughs> The good old times. So, yeah, I still have a T-shirt uh, from the Supersonics, actually, and um, Detlef Schrempf, uh, who who is German as well, uh, was my hero back then. Well, that's funny you should mention because uh, Detlef Schrempf and I have something in common. We both attended the University of Washington in Seattle. I missed Detlef by two years. Oh wow. Very nice, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I went to his basketball camp. He he had basketball camps in, in Germany and uh, it was always, always a lot of fun, yeah. So um, what is one thing um, people don't know about you? Um, well, one thing is probably that in the fall, I spend a lot of time on a tractor. Uh, my father-in-law is an orchardist, so we harvest pears, four different variety. Awesome. My... You would be my son's hero. <laughs> he loves tractors. And uh, yeah, I like pears and interesting hobby. Mm -hmm. Tell me, um, what was the reason or perhaps motivation for you to co-found the Demand Driven Institute? Well, back in 2010, we were writing the third edition of Orlicky's Material Requirements Planning. And we were introducing, in the book, we were introducing uh, the next kind of generation of, of MRP, which we call demand-driven MRP. We knew that there were some significant changes that would be brought to the table with DDMRP. And we knew that people, once they read the book, would want something additional. They would need, you know, some place to go uh, to continue to get more information. And also we had, we had to continue to push the envelope and further develop the method and the framework around it anyway. So that's really where we got the inspiration for the Institute. Very good. Thank you. And what does the Demand Driven Institute do? 
Well, primarily we focus on education and certification. So we offer uh, programs on demand-driven MRP, educational programs on demand-driven MRP, um, and also uh, the much broader topic of what we call the demand-driven adaptive enterprise framework. Uh, we also uh, offer certification exams in the topic. So for instance, uh, our demand-driven planner professional would be uh, you know, a certificate around um, demand-driven MRP. Uh, we offer those exams in eight different languages. Uh, we put you know, several thousand people through that uh, certification. Okay. Yeah, DDMRP is, is big in the news in the logistics world. Um, still a lot of people wonder what is it really about. Can you maybe ex please explain it a little bit, a bit more detailed or what is it really about? Yeah, sure. I, I think one thing that, that people should understand is that, you know, this isn't some radical departure or, um, you know, magic black box. You know, DDMRP was founded on very well-known and accepted principles like MRP, DRP, Lean, Theory of Constraints, Six Sigma. Um, what we've done is we've been able to, to come up with a package of those, uh, those accepted uh you know, methodologies. And uh, with four innovations, we were able to kind of get them to all work together. So the first thing that we understand here is that the world has changed dramatically from when we first laid down the planning rules. And really, we traced those rules all the way back to the late 50s. Um, and by 1965, by the way, we had the, the acronym MRP. And we had all the rules codified in what MRP was. So the world has changed a lot since 1965. And we have to recognize that uh, MRP systems were breaking down and the traditional MPS MRP schema was breaking down. I think most anybody that's worked in supply chain or planning understands that something is not right. Something hasn't been right for a long time. They've never been able to really put their finger on it uh, but we've spent a lot of time articulating what the problem is, how to fix it, and um, why DDMRP does what it does. Thanks for that explanation. And what are the benefits or value of DDMRP? And, and how can a customer, for example, for SAP S4HANA Cloud, measure it? Well, I think, you know, the, we have a lot of documented um, and consistent results across a wide array of industries, whether it's uh, CPG, uh, pharma, you know, heavy heavy assembly, uh, even make to order, assemble to order, and engineer to order. Um, the typical results that we see, and this is well documented, and you can go on our website and, and see what the sources of those are, but we typically see high 90 service uh, with 30 to 50% reductions in inventory. Um, and that's really consistent. And the other thing is, guess what? When you have high service and you have high avail availability, what we also set, tend to see in conjunction with service and lower inventory is we see increased sales or volume. Okay, that sounds very promising. And uh, do you think DMRP is still or will be still the leading methodology for demand planning in the future? Well, I think sure. I mean, when it comes to you know maturation of DDMRP I think we're we're really at the beginning um, 
I think the, the basic methods behind DDMRP, there's one very critical method, and that is the idea of flow and the uh, embracement of flow. That's never going away. The whole point of supply chains is to flow. The original purpose of MRP was for flow. Um, you know, lean, theory of constraints, Six Sigma, they all preach flow. So I don't think DDMRP, or at least certainly the methods underlying DDMRP are going away anytime in the future. In fact, I think uh, we're just really beginning to appreciate again uh, especially given 2020, we're beginning to appreciate again the power of flow instead of the focus on cost. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, you talked about only the first step in a true demand-driven transformation. Um, what are the second steps you see? Right. D DDMRP is just a first step. Um, it's a very rewarding step, but you can't just end your journey towards flow. Uh, with better supply order generation and management. It really, there are additional steps around scheduling and resource management, um, the ability to adapt the entire operating model through time as changes occur. And the one thing that we know is constant today is change. And, and by the way, those changes, uh, the amplitude of those changes are higher and the frequency of those changes are more frequent. So, um, you know, we have both an operation, an operational, a tactical, and a strategic component of the demand-driven adaptive enterprise framework. And we have a maturation process that's basically a five-step journey. And that journey can take, you know, sometimes it can take years and years, and if not a decade, to complete the journey. Okay, I see. Yeah. And um, let's switch a little bit the topics. For example, SAP S4HANA Cloud is... Uh compliance software according to the Demand Room Institute. How do you work together with software vendors and, and what are your criteria um, of certification? Right. So we uh, open compliance to every everyone in the world. Anyone that wants to build a compliant piece of software is welcome to do it. In fact, you know, we want more and more and more. And I think we're at about three dozen right now. So what we do is we publish standards, uh, minimum standards for DDMRP compliance. And the, the, the real thought here was we didn't want to make these things so restrictive um, that we wouldn't allow for competitive space and difference. So we have these minimum standards. There's five basic criteria. And within the criteria, there's, some, there's a few kind of bullet points. Uh, but we work with software vendors when they, when they think that they're ready and that they're ready to go and test for compliance, they sit down with us and we run them through those five basic criterias and we provide feedback. Uh, only two software packages in the history of our compliance program have ever made it on the first attempt. So what we do is we give them detailed feedback about how to achieve compliance and then they go back kind of to the drawing board, so to speak, and then they come back and they've usually resolved the issues. Um, I think the most times it's ever taken is, is three passes. And we do this all at no charge. Uh, we do this completely for free uh, because we don't want any conflict of interest in the compliance process. Okay, I see. Yeah. Talking about those, those basic five criteria you mentioned, um, do software vendors give you access to their products or do they really only present or um, how does that process look like? 
Right. When, when people write into us and ask us, okay, how does the compliance process work? The first thing that we tell them is screenshots are not acceptable. Okay. So I have a, I have a background in software. Um, I, I'm well aware of what the power of a screenshot can do and, and how it can differ from reality. So um, we make it very clear that we want a live sandbox environment. Uh, we, you know, ask them to come up with essentially a, a, a dummy or a demo database. So they do have to put some work in. They have to have pills of material. They have to have, you know, um, structures, all kinds of things. And then we bring them through that compliance criteria. We independently verify that the calculations are made properly. We even ask them to stop, make changes, uh, and verify then that those changes have been adequately handled. So for instance, you could say, hey, I want you to change the lead time on this particular part. And then we look at the way that the uh, application is uh, calculating what we call decoupled lead time. And if, if, if it's properly changed, we'll make them, uh, you know, change a buffer profile, for example, and make sure that the that the math and the, the, the buffer change is properly reflected in terms of quantity. So, um, you know, we do as much due diligence as we can. Uh, and Carol and I, Carol Patak is my partner uh, in the Demand Driven Institute. We do this personally with every package. Wow, impressive. I see, yeah. Okay, um, Chad, let's, let's go back a little bit to DDMRP. And um, I talked to some customers actually about DDMRP and they, realize, um, they replied to me actually a nice scenario for make to order with deep build of material integrations. But um, they said, okay, we're an engineer to order company and this doesn't really work for me. What is, what is your answer? Well, I think first of all, we have to understand that DDMRP is a make two stock or a two stock solution, right? It's it's centered around the idea of placing, strategically placing decoupling points. And those decoupling points have levels of stock that are carefully managed and monitored. Uh, with that in mind, when we look at make to order situations, yes, it does work well in make to order in the intermediate and lower levels of the bill. Also, in engineered order, that's exactly the same case. What we tend to see is it works extremely well in engineered order environments with deep bills of material that have common materials that they typically work in. For instance, if I build an offshore drilling platform, I'm going to need a lot of steel. All right. And so, and I personally have experience in this and, and DDMRP in many ways came emerged out of this type of environment where you protect the critical aspects of these engineered order projects at the lower levels with uh, carefully controlled and placed decoupling point buffers. So it absolutely works in engineered order. You just can't think about it as a zero item or high level solution, you have to think about the power of what it can do at the lower level and how it can compress lead times and protect project schedules. Okay, thank you. Yeah. And then I have customers I talk to and they come back and say, okay, DMRP sounds good, but it's too theoretically for, for me. Um, what do you, what would you tell those customers? Well, I'd, I'd say hundreds of documented case studies and, and a vibrant and growing services and technology community and thousands of practitioners would, would disagree. I think what's, what's theoretical are the, the black boxes that are being sold out there today and say, just plug this in and trust us. 
that's, you know, that to me, that's more theory uh, than, than what we're doing. Everything that we have tried to do with DDMRP is based upon one critical aspect, and that's transparency. If planners and buyers and supply chain personnel do not understand how their applications work, they don't trust them and people don't use things they don't trust. That's when we bust out the spreadsheets. And that's why we're drowning in spreadsheets right now. This, this is a very good answer. This, I didn't, I I didn't want to reply anything for, for, yeah, for your um, answer there, but then I completely agree because I, I always tell those customers as well, um, it's completely transparent. Just go on the website or look in the book and you see the calculations. And um, yeah, that, that was also a good answer for me here. Yeah. Well, this, tra- this transparency goes all the way back to the original book uh, that Joseph Orlicky wrote. What he did is he gave away all the secrets. You know, see, at the time, they were working for IBM. And IBM's motivation for MRP was to sell mainframe computers. But the problem is, is that they couldn't make the value proposition or the case um, to businesses for to charge all of this money for mainframes. And they weren't selling enough. I think in 1975, when the first Orlicky book came out, only 700 companies in the world had MRP, right? So the idea was, well, okay, let's just give away all of the the secrets, you know? And in doing that, we will foster an industry that will then create a pull for uh mainframe computers and the rest is history. And so when we were writing the third book, we used that kind of as a template to say, you know, really what we need to do here is be highly transparent, give away what we're doing, how we're doing it and foster, um, you know, more of an education and certification environment where we can have this consistency. Just like if you look at the, at the uh, history of the Apex organization, this is exactly what happened is Joseph Orlicky wrote books, Apex then codified all of this, you know, content and then created consistent uh, education and certification around it. Mm, I see. Yeah. And then coming back to the customer feedback I receive, um, some wish that uh, the method is, is what they call not so static. And um, what I mean with that is that the customer wanted to implement, for example, a big middle-sized or small product classification, or they wanted to change the product classification from not using the goods issue value to maybe the procurement value um, of goods receipt. And um, what, what what is your answer? I mean, and is that allowed or... Um, can you enhance it? Well, I think the, the, yeah, the whole, <laughs> the whole concept of DDMRP is not to be static, right? It's, it's dynamic in nature. Uh, the, you know, the, the buffer levels are always adjusting, uh, depending upon changes in the environment. You know, when we, you know, our, we don't want to be rigid, uh, but we want to have say, Hey, you know, there, here are the concepts that if you, if you, counteract them, you're going to lose some of the power of it. I always tell people, get educated and then do what makes sense. That's the most important thing. But you also have to be very careful about letting bad habits or current bad habits creeping in, creep in uh, to something new and promising. 
I see, and I, I agree with you. And um, but as a takeaway, I, I then what when I when I understood you correctly, then software vendors can actually modify their DDMAP products and still be compliant by the Demand Driven Institute as long as they comply with the five basic criteria, right? Yeah. Absolutely. As long as they have the, the five basic criteria present, they're compliant. That doesn't mean that they can't offer other things of value. In fact, there are other things. There's a lot of other things in the DDMRP methodology that we didn't put into the compliance criteria because we wanted to make sure we wanted to open it up uh, to more software vendors you know, by, by simply putting more and more criteria in, it really becomes a, a much higher barrier of entry for these uh, software packages to get in and get involved in the method. We wanted to get them going. We wanted them, we wanted the market to prove to them that it was something that valuable to them. And then they can take it further. You know, there are some software applications that are extremely mature and others that are less mature, um, but when the market tells or dictates, you know, software companies typically follow where the market goes. So, you know, it's our job to help make that market. Some people argue that demand-driven plans for what is known is better than anticipating unknowns. Also, some say that even DMRP takes historic data into calculation when setting it up. What is your opinion? Well, I think there's a, a misconception around DDMRP, and that is that DDMRP only uses historical data, or that DDMRP doesn't doesn't like forecasting. Uh, nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, our message is very clear: companies need to forecast. Companies need to think about the future. All right, it's what you do with your thoughts that matter. And so we have a very specific mechanism that they take a forecast and they put it into a DDMRP system and it does something different than convention. It adjusts the capability of the system. It does not launch supply orders directly. When we tie forecast to a supply order, we are basically saying we're committing cash, we're committing capacity, capability to something that we know has error in it. And instead, what we want to do is we want to use our intelligence, both historical and in future, about what we think is going to happen. And then we build our capability to that expectation. But then if that expectation does not come to fruition, then we don't launch orders against it. It's that simple. So why waste all of this time and money uh, with using signals that we know have a problem? The DDMRP insulates a company from that. What is your outlook in the demand-driven development? Where should software companies actually invest or what advice can you give them? Well, we're just getting started. Uh, we've just essentially completed the entire framework. Our book coming out in the fall on sales and operations planning will kind of complete that uh, picture. And that's, I think, where the next kind of step or evolution for software enterprises is, is, you know, how do we not just focus operationally, but then how do we uh, create visibility at the tactical and strategic levels? And how do we drive what we call our strategic and tactical adaptive loops? And that's where, if you kind of think about the, the past so far, we've had a, 
a, a really a big disconnect between our operations and our SNOP uh, processes. There's just this kind of foggy middle, and we are defining that a lot differently. And we're, you know, putting a lot of detail into how this really should work. And one great thing is we're working with Dick Ling. Uh, we're writing the book with Dick Ling. And for those people that don't know who Dick Ling is, he is the father of sales and operations planning. He wrote the first book uh, called or Orchestrating Success in 1988. On He basically coined the term sales and operations planning. So we've been working with him for a few years. And when he saw what we were doing, he got very excited because it answered questions for him that he always had. And it provided... Uh, capability to him that he never really had. So uh, it's very exciting what we've got going on with him. And we're really looking forward to, to getting this book uh, out in the fall. Great. And what does SAP need to improve in the world of demand-driven? I think SAP is doing great so far. Um, something like this for a company you know, as big as they are with um, as much inertia and, and market and, and customer base that they have, it's difficult to, uh, you know, go new directions. You can't just, you know, turn the wheel of a super tanker without, uh, without, you know, making maybe a little bit of mess or risk. So I think SAP's done great. They have put in a lot of work. They've put in a lot of emphasis, um, you know, on this. And in fact, I've been working with SAP on this probably for about 10 years. It goes all the way back to a gentleman named Mike Lipton. Yeah, I know uh, Mike. Hey, he's okay. <laughs> all right. Yeah, he's a great guy. In fact, I, I just saw him online just a few months ago. He's doing great. Okay, that's awesome. COVID-19 has been with us for a while now. And uh, what are your thoughts? Um, did it accelerate uh, the use of demand-driven MMP? I think it did. And, uh, you know, when we look at our number of educational seats that are happening right now, we're seeing numbers that uh, we've, we've never seen before. I mean, uh, all throughout the world, too. And maybe there's a little bit of uh, pent up demand from 2020. But I think what 2020 did is it reset people's focus uh, around what they what they need to have in a supply chain, how they have to build resilient supply chains. And DDMRP is a very good vehicle to uh, resilience. Um, and I also think that it, it taught people uh, or at least got them intrigued about a message that we've been saying for a long time is when you focus on flow, cost is under control. When you focus on cost, flow typically goes out of control. And, you know, cost is an outcome. Flow is what's managed. Cost is simply an outcome. If you try to manage cost, you're going you're gonna to have very, very big problems in what we call the VUCA world. The VUCA world stands for volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And that's what we got today. If I would be your customer and I want to implement demand-driven MRP, what would be your advice? What should I do first? Uh, it's... Easy, easy uh, answer. Get educated. Get properly educated. We can't stress this enough. The education is the key to make uh, and manage a proper model. It's also, you, you should be educated before you go and you make 
a services and technology acquisition. If you're going to spend money on tools and rules, um, make sure you understand why the rules are in place. And when you're making a service and technology purchase, if, if you're properly educated, you're going to have a much better chance of finding the right solution for you. Okay. Thanks for that advice. And what are your plans for the Demand Driven Institute? Well, I, we're going to continue to offer education, certification, compliance. We, we will have a couple of new programs that will be available uh, that are going to be pointed at the C-level suite uh, or the upper management. And that's going to go, that's going to coincide with our new book. Uh, we're also, uh, and people will call, probably call us crazy for this. We're actually going to launch our own publishing company called Demand Driven Press. Uh, we, you know, ch publishing is changing. Uh, and we've been caught right in the middle of it uh, with traditional publishers. And we're, we're confident that not only do we have uh, a very large network of people that have a lot uh, to contribute to the demand-driven method, uh, we also are pretty confident that, you know, we can create some, uh, well, a suite of things where people can come and uh, get properly educated, uh, you know, have tons of resources, that kind of thing. Carol and I, demand driven should not be Carol Patak and Chad Smith. We don't want it to be that way. We want to, you know, bring in a new generation and get them and their experience out there. Exciting, Chad. All right. That's a good note to end this episode on. Chad, thank you so very much uh, for joining today and sharing your insights. It was my pleasure to be here. And let's not forget, this will be a series of three episodes where we further discuss about GDMRP in Esfahana Cloud and how it was implemented by one of our customers and if this implementation created the expected outcome. If you all enjoyed today's discussion and would like to learn more, stay tuned for the next one. As always, feel free to drop us an email via insights4 at sap.com and let us know which topics are of your interest. Tune in next time and be inside SAP S4HANA. Thank you very much. <laughs>